Welcome to Security All In. This is Sam Curry. I'm Chief Security Officer for Cyber Reason. And on Security All In, we use a poker motif because uh, poker ultimately has a degree of skill and it's about human connections and there's always some degree of uh, gambling or risk taking. Um, there's also this notion that you can go all in on something or it can go all in on you. And my goal here is to have interesting discussions with cybersecurity luminaries and uh, find out what makes them tick and what their secret sauce is and when and how they went all in or vice versa. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Christopher Castaldo or Chris. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to be on today. My pleasure. By the way, so Chris, you are the, if I get this wrong, please correct me, um, you are the chief of security, but your formal title is senior director of cybersecurity for 2U. And I understand your core business is really about education and democratizing education in many ways. Do I have that right? Or do you want to maybe explain it a bit differently? Yeah, that's uh, mostly correct. I am the senior director of cybersecurity here at 2U, and uh, we've got a pretty awesome team uh, helping protect some really important student and uh, university data. And did I get your mission right as a company or an organization? I know we're going to talk a lot about your mission as a security person, but what is the mission of 2U? Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I'm sensing there is one. No, I think you had that really well put together that uh, to you brings great education online. So some of our partners like UNC or Syracuse or Berkeley, we partner with them to bring their graduate degree programs online. So that's kind of a special sauce. Uh, there's a lot of different components to it. And we do things a little differently than say your traditional learning management system that you would just license and deploy yourself. We do pretty much soup to nuts from all the marketing for the degree programs we build out to the platform, basically all the way up to graduation. Wow. So it, it's soup to nuts, world-class education available online to everyone. And your job is to make sure that that isn't taken away, that they get to do it. And really they did it. It's the CIA, Confidentiality, Integrity, and Availability, for that kind of service, right? Exactly. Yep. That's exactly right. So education, it will probably be a theme of this, not just because of where you work and what you do, but also because I like to dig a little bit into people's pasts. Did you find security through formal education or in spite of it? How did you first find security as a, as a space? So I guess it would go all the way back to when I was first introduced to uh, computers through my grandfather that let me build a, a Tandy with him from uh, Radio Shack when I was maybe... I remember those kits, yeah. <laughs> I was maybe four or five years old. So that kind of spurred my interest in computers. And that kind of followed me through life until about elementary, middle school when I found something called 2600. And my mind oh, was... Yes completely yeah. blown that you could make computers do other things they weren't intended to do. Captain Crunch and phone freaking. Right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, do you still subscribe to the magazine? There is a, uh, there's still a uh, 2600 magazine out there. The, yes. A couple companies I've worked at had uh, lifetime subscriptions that I threw into the budget. So yes, still reading that today. I love expensing my hobby that way. So <laughs> kudos on that. And you said four or five, you were working on the Tandy kit. But how old were you when this became a more serious endeavor? When did you start uh, either programming or trying to break 
things? Uh, I would say I could probably pinpoint it exactly to sixth grade when it's kind of ridiculous. So if you might remember, Apple kind of had a push to get into into the classroom. Mm -hmm. So there were a bunch of incentives and we had all Macs. I think it was... Mac oh, wow. Yeah, they did, they did that to get, get you while you're young and you want it at work was yeah. the idea. Yeah. yeah, I mean, really brilliant marketing. But we had those in our classrooms and there was a system, I'd say similar to Active Directory, called At Ease mm -hmm. um, to manage oh, them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you remember it? I do, yeah. It was a wow, directory okay. tool of some sort, right? Yeah, yep. So a couple of friends of mine, we all figured out that if the administrators set their password to something that password was usable on every account. Ooh, so, bad. Let's say you're set as an administrator in the system. You set your password to password one, two, three. I can then use that password on every single account. So there was no mapping of username to password. It was, no, was, I, it, was that just the admin account or was it like any password was usable with any account? Any administrator account, password was usable on any user account. So every teacher had admin rights. So <laughs> you had possibly 50, 60 passwords that would all work on one account. That's juicy. That's, yeah. that is, uh, that's awesome. And so, so you, the, you helped discover this or you, you found out that it was available and then you got to enjoy it? We started guessing passwords and then, you know, logged into each other's accounts and, you know, just created folders and folders and uh, just, you know, screwing around with each other's accounts. Uh, but then the white hat in me went and told the principal about it. So they, uh, well done. They well, closed. No, uh, I was worried this was going to be one of those serial killer moments. Where you find out <laughs> no, no. So, so you, you had the urge and then you did the right thing. That is laudable. And you were 11 at the time, 12, sixth grade. Uh, yeah. Sixth grade. Yeah. Somewhere around there. Yeah, my father used to be the head of computer science at a university, and he didn't like a decision the company had made to uh, buy a mainframe. So he said to anyone in his class, if you can break it, then I'll give you an A in this course. And of course, it took less than 24 hours to break it. So I can relate wow. to that. Yeah, anyone can look that up but for his, to protect his pension. I'm not going to say who it is in the podcast. Um, <laughs> but um, having said that, so did you, in fact, study this professionally afterwards, um, after sort of elementary school, high school? Did you go on straight into security? Was it a, a straight path that you knew all along, or did you wind around a little bit? What did you do at the sort of college age type thing? It was definitely a mostly straight path. I, I definitely knew after that point that is what I wanted to do as a career and a job. So a lot of my focus was around that. It wasn't a completely straight path after school. So went to a startup in California, ended up going bankrupt. And uh, there was obviously a lot of other folks in the same situation that I was, but someone with uh, very limited experience going up against other people that were out of work looking for work. Were you in Silicon Valley at the time? Uh, uh, it was like 2001-ish? Northern California, north of, yeah. uh, north of San Francisco. Not in the valley, but... Uh, in Sausalito or San Rafael or something up there, yeah? Uh, Mendocino County, even, oh, yeah. even yep. more north. <laughs> even more north, yeah. So 
I didn't have a lot of options and I'd grown up uh, around the army, lived at uh, West Point when, uh, when I was a child. So uh, had an interest in the army and mm-hmm. there was the opportunity to get a clearance if you join the army. So again, this is now post 9-11 and there were, you know, really plussing up on intelligence analysts. So ended up joining the army and did some fun, interesting things. I don't think I actually ever did my job, which most, I think most people- <laughs> That's not uh, unusual. Yeah, yeah. Not, un, not unusual in the Army. But that was kind of uh, the college years where I actually spent uh, in a deployment to Iraq. <laughs> Were you hoping and trained to go into being an intelligence analyst or a SIGINT analyst, or did you wind up doing that? Which way did it go? Yes, yeah, so that was my goal. They make you feel nice in uh, MEPS, the in-processing center, where you can put your wish list of where you want to go. And top of mind was Fort Meade to NSA. So somehow I got that, which was amazing. Well done. (laughs) Ended up there uh, waiting for my clearance to get adjudicated. And it was just taking months and months and months. And there was an option to deploy. And I was like, I'm not going to sit around in the mailroom anymore. So I chose that option. And the day we left uh, Fort Bliss to actually deploy uh, was the day my clearance got adjudicated. So it was waiting for me. <laughs> this was karma. Like this had to happen. Yeah. Yep. Uh, when you deployed, was it then as an analyst? Were you doing an intelligence function or, or did that get curtailed and you, you were able to, to stay at the fort? No, no. uh, I did deploy in an intelligence capacity. We were attached to a human intelligence uh, unit. So interrogators and folks that kind of talk to talk to the bad guys to get intel out of them. So um, we were attached to that unit and I did a little bit of that, but I wasn't trained in that profession. So I didn't get to do really support an analyst function uh, around what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I would either be driving when we go out to meet with sources or I'd be up in the turret manning a gun when, uh, when we go outside the wire. How long were you there? When did you come back stateside and muster out? Uh, just under a year. Got back in 2005 and then did the rest of my tour at Fort Meade and uh, ended up BTSing and, and staying in Maryland. So when you got out, you'd gone through the startup.com experience my condolences, but what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Then you went into the army and um, you had this sort of cooling your heels, waiting for clearance, and then you deployed, came back. How did you go from that to to you? (laughs) Walk me through that. How did they find you? How did you find them? So LinkedIn, and I'm not paid by them or plugging them, but I'm sure. sure We all use it. We all use it. They will love that. But yeah, I got to to, to you (laughs) through LinkedIn. (laughs) But my path from the Army to there was I uh, got out of the Army, ended up doing some penetration testing at a small firm in Maryland uh, for a couple of years. And then I was really interested in maintaining my clearance. So ended up moving to a different defense contractor that was able to, uh, to hold my clearance and, and get me into the work I really like doing. Spent a lot of time then back at NSA and TAO doing a lot of fun stuff for many years. And then left there, went to a company in New Jersey and stood up their cybersecurity program, a company called Synchronous Technologies. Left there, got attracted to another startup. You might Uh-oh, you got with. sucked back in, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> might, be, uh, might be familiar with IronNet Cybersecurity. So oh, general- yeah, with, with uh, General Alexander. Know it very yep. well. Yeah. 
So spent some time there and then found to you kind of where my passion really lies is like building out teams, maturing programs, whether it's a place that has some things in place and needs to be matured or there's just, you know, it's complete greenfield. That's kind of stuff I like bringing organizations kind of from zero to one. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's how I got to, to, to you in like a, a one minute soundbite. That was pretty concise for, you know, I often say that anyone who says I set out to do X and then I did X. So I'm an X. I'm like, well, that's a boring story, right? Yeah. Most of us, we apply in order after the fact we're very revisionist and tell a story, but that was very clean and very factual. So I can tell your, uh, your Intel background, but let's talk a little bit about off that path. Let's talk a little bit about maybe what makes you tick as a person. Do you have any, any hobbies? Let's start broadly, whether they affect security or not. Do you like to read? Do you like to cook? Do you like music? What makes you tick? Yeah, I'd say my biggest hobby right now, which is afforded to me by my commute at the moment, is uh, reading. I'm not the fastest reader, but because I have so much time, I, I do make it through two to three fairly long books per month. Um, I've been on That's a good rate. Yeah. Uh, so are you driving dangerously or do you take the... <laughs> no, I take Amtrak from Baltimore to New York. Oh, wow. That's a commute. Yeah. Three or four times a month or a week? A week. Wow. <laughs> wow. And so I guess, is it like Zen time for you where you get to sort of, you get to soak yourself in reading something meaty and it's like you time? Is that what you're getting out of it? Or is it, do you feel like you're, are you reading nonfiction instead and saying, hey, I'm, I'm boning up on a subject matter? It's all over the board. I really try to like change up when I'm reading. So I'm not kind of getting down the rabbit hole on one subject. I kind of flip around between history, something specifically work-related, like technical, and then something leadership related is, is kind of what I've been reading through this year. So yeah, kind of all over the board. I should probably read more fiction. Um, <laughs> no, no, there should be no guilt. There's no read shaming, right? If that's what makes you tick, that's what makes you tick. Have you found an intersection of all three or is it really that they're separate? Do you have to get a book? Like, have you found anything on leadership and the discipline and history that combined? Or do you really find them as separate silos at this point? I've actually kind of seen some similarities between some of the books, history books I've been reading this year and the leadership books. So I'm actually working my way through every U.S. president's biography. Oh, wow. So I'm up to JQA, uh, Quincy Adams. So, oh, so not, you're still not early. <laughs> you haven't gone very far. You're not uh, very far. Uh, uh, yeah, you're still in the first four or five, right? Uh, he's number six. So. Oh, I missed it. Damn. Yeah, I, I used to know the first eight very well. So is Quincy Adams, sorry, John Quincy Adams, is he the one that you're most interested in? Or did you find another one was particularly appealing so far? So far, I really like, and I think this is really skewed by the the author as well. I really loved uh, John Adams. Oh, that's glad that's... Um, uh, David uh, McCullough. Yeah. yeah, David McCullough. Yeah, I read that. It, it was fantastic. Yeah. I read it when it first came out and I got a signed copy. My father-in-law went to a signing and got it for me. What did you like about it? What was it that really inspired you? I love the attention to detail he puts into, into his work. I mean, it was, you know, it's not multiple volumes. It's seven, 800 pages. And he, I think is one of, I believe one of the most 
documented presence. Like he kept explicit oh, letters. Oh, tons yeah. of letters with his wife, for instance, about state affairs and things. There's yeah. Yep. Just a ton of, and, and let's not forget that the U S revolution was all about the, uh, I'm trying to remember the term. It was the, um, the correspondence organizations. They were, they didn't have the internet and they didn't tweet. They used letters extremely effectively and he was very right. involved with them. And he doesn't go, David doesn't go into too much detail on like the encoding, but I found that really interesting when he did touch on those subjects of how they were encoding messages, you know, back and forth when he was in France and, you know, getting the information back to the Congress in the U.S. But I like the, the linear way that he writes. I, maybe that's just the way I, uh, I'm able to follow along. I found a couple, I read uh, James Madison most recently, and that author just kind of bounced around a lot and there wasn't a lot of narrative uh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. The, the narrative just wasn't completely there. Really difficult to kind of follow along. You know, you would go two years in the past and then 10 years in the future and we're just kind of all over the place, even though the themes were the same, it was a little, a little hard to follow along, but yeah, John Adams and I'd say Thomas Jefferson's were probably my two favorites so far, but again, I'm only six in. <laughs> yeah, the, I was thinking, the term I was thinking of was committees of correspondence. And it seems like narratives are becoming a theme of our discussion, right? We, we talked about the narrative of your life and how we tend to edit those. And the ones you appeal to, that appeal to you most are narratives mm -hmm. among the presidents. Looking back at you and looking forward, what do you see yourself involved in or doing? I, I hate getting the question like in a job interview, what do you want to do next? Or where do you want to be in five years? So I'm explicitly not asking that one, but are there elements you want to see recur in the future story of Chris? Or are you open to anything? There's definitely things I'd like to see reoccurring, but you have to be open to everything. That's kind of how life works. At five, I wasn't like, I'm going to join the army. You know, I'm going to go to a tech company that collapses in the dot-com bubble. You know, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z you just kind of set out on a, a vision and try to execute on that. There's like, so something I always kind of think about when people ask me that there was a really great interview with Cuba Gooding Jr. After he won his first Academy Award mm -hmm. and the interviewer asked him, did you picture yourself here? And people are like, Oh no, I never pictured myself you know, doing this. And I was like, yeah, of course I did. Like, this is what I've been working to my entire career. Like, of course, I was like focused on this moment. And I just kind of keep that, I think, in mind. And that's kind of my vision of like where I'm trying to get to. Like, I didn't know the exact path it would take, but, you know, this is what I really love doing. And, you know, I'm glad I was able to make it to this point. Future-wise, what, you know, going back to your actual question, um, <laughs> is getting other people to this point. Ah. As a leader, I think one of my many responsibilities is building other leaders. So not in the sense of you're like a director at a company, but you're a leader in what you do, right? You're seen as a leader in your organization or in your team. You know, it doesn't have to be by title, but uh, you just kind of, yeah, I'm sure you know those people in, in your oh, organization, yeah. like they might not have that title, but everyone knows they're the go-to for something. Right. Yeah, there's a book um, maybe for one of your future commutes called Captain Class. And um, it talks about in sports in particular, but in other things too, how the captain of a team is really the best player. And they're really the person who you can point to the function that they do. But there's some things they have in common that make the team better, right? They're the glue 
and in your case, it sounds like you had a, you personally have a leadership vision for yourself and that becomes extensible. You've got this, um, have a clear vision like Cuba Gooding Jr. where you want to go and then take what, you know, no plan survives contact with the enemy, right? Take what comes your way. Exactly. I think those are really good things. So, you know, we're approaching the end of, of our interview here and I, I usually have a couple of questions right at the end. The first one I'm going to ask you is um, you mentioned bringing people up and the next generation of security people then. So what advice or mentorship would you offer to anyone who might be listening and thinking about what comes next in their career and is this the right space for them or picture that person in your head and tell us what you'd say to them. So I'd first say focus on your goal and focus on yourself and building yourself up because if you don't build yourself up first, you're not going to, it's going to be difficult to help other people and kind of bring them up with you. You know, it's sending the elevator back down type mantra. And I would say also just kind of make sure you're letting people know you're thankful for what they've done. You know, some people you can't always thank, you know, negative interactions are, you know, a part of life. So obviously you're probably not going to thank that person, but that helps build your character and all the facets you need to be a good leader. But I would always think, I think the main thing, send thank you notes when handwritten or email, which do you recommend handwritten or email? Email. If it's, you know, after an interview or something, if it's something that was really meaningful, handwritten like goes goes so far i have an old school mentor who always tells me nothing has quite the impact especially today as a handwritten note yeah yeah an email is absolutely fine but if like i love your if it's special send a handwritten note yep yeah it's the it's the effort involved that's appreciated yeah Not, not whether you have good handwriting yep exactly and i would also say like i don't know if i ever experienced uh you know, someone saying, oh, you can't do that or you can't do this. But if there's someone that is listening and has heard that, like, you just need to ignore that. Like, keep going. Like, there's going to be someone out there that sees your skill set for what it's worth. And, you know, you'll go far. As long as you keep that in mind, I think that's really critical to kind of not let the uh, not let the haters in, so to speak. Yeah, I love that. One of the things I dislike is uh, sometimes many of us in the industry who've been around for a while, it looks like we've done so much amazing stuff, but at the end of the day, well, I don't want to suffer Dunning-Kruger, but we all learned this the hard way and it's all approachable and it's all doable. So don't be intimidated by people with that kind of background and don't let them say that you don't have the stuff because most of us weren't ready for the jobs we had when we first did them. That's just how it goes. So I love the advice. I I do have one more question for you though. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, as this is Security All In, at some point, I will be running a poker game for CISOs. I would love to have you take part if that's your thing. Would, would you be willing to be part of it? I would absolutely be part of that. That sounds like a blast. Excellent. Excellent. And so with that, folks, uh, to all those listening, I'm going to say uh, it's been fantastic, Chris, having you. I really appreciate your time and uh, hearing a bit about your background and when you went all in and your experience. And uh, I hope to talk to you again soon. Great. Thank you so much for having me.